So today we are um, talking about the wise and the foolish builder. And this is basically finishing up the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke. And um, this is the parable that kind of brings it all together. Uh, we've been speaking on the Matthew chapter 7 for the past number of weeks. And Jesus' teaching is amazing. I mean, he, his words that he speaks are, first of all, they're truth, right? Jesus never speaks anything that's not truth. And so there's power in truth. There's liberty. There's freedom in truth. And Jesus just has spent a lot of time teaching these Jewish people that are coming out of Old Testament theology because that's all they've had and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we love the Old Testament. We believe in the Old Testament. We teach the Old Testament. But thank the Lord that Jesus came to to fulfill the Old Testament. He doesn't do away with it. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament because the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. It speaks of him coming into this world and, and, and him being the fulfillment of it all. And so... For these people, however, this is new for information for them. This is kind of maybe blowing their hair back a little bit because this is some stuff that they weren't, they'd never heard before. And they didn't understand necessarily how the things in the Old Testament could come to pass in the life of Jesus. And they were firsthand witnesses of that. And so it was really a, an amazing teaching of what Jesus spoke about And so our text today is Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. So uh, you can read along with me if you'd like. In fact, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Listen to this. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, it's not that the law doesn't have authority, but the law can't save. The only thing that can save is the authority of Jesus Christ. And they recognize that in his teaching. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the authority of your teaching. We thank you for the fact that that you give us the law of the word and we listen to that and we teach that and we learn that, but it's not that that saves. It is your authority that you took death captive and that you died on the cross so that the Old Testament could be fulfilled so that we could have New Testament theology, that we could have faith and trust in you to be our savior. And for that, we thank you. So help us, Lord, as we understand today's message in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, Jesus was an amazing. I, I, I wish I could sit under his teaching. Someday we're going to. When we get to heaven, we're going to be taught things. We're not going to go there with a, 
um, automatic download of all there is to know. Just so you know, we're going to continue to be learning of God's grace and his mercy and who his character and all that God is forever and ever and ever. And we're never going to be able to comprehend it all. Ever millions of years, we're still going to be learning of God's greatness and his grace. And I love that fact. So Jesus had powerful teaching as the people already recognized. And for that reason, he's worth listening to. For that reason, he's worth spending time getting to know more and more about. It's obvious to these people that Jesus was a different teacher than the teachers of the law. And it was worth their time. But I like what Luke says. Luke says something interesting of the same passage here. And Luke starts it with a question. Because Luke understands the human nature. He was a doctor, okay? So Dr. Luke understood the nature of humanity because he, be, he begins this parable with a question for those that, who, for those that claim to be followers of Christ. He, he, he makes a statement in the form of a question that I think is for all of us today. So Luke chapter 6, verse 46 and 40 through 49, Luke says it this way. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Wow. Okay, that's a pretty obvious, in-your-face question. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So Luke begins his parable with a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's interesting. Whenever the Bible repeats a word, it's a point of explanation or exclamation, right? It's a point of, of emphasis. He says, Lord, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord? In other words, how serious this is, but yet you don't do what I say. It's a question that demands an answer. It's a a question that demands some attention. Now remember, when Jesus was talking to the people of that day, these were not mature Christians. (laughs) These are people that are, at best, three years old in their Christianity because Jesus' teaching was only three years. His ministry on earth was only a three-year period before he died on a cross. So these are not people that are it's been steeped in the, the teaching of Jesus for 30, 40 years, right? So it's a pretty hard question for them. So I think that Jesus is speaking that, or Luke brings this question out, maybe not so much for their benefit, but I think for our benefit. Because some of us have been in the church for all of our life. I mean, I grew up in the Assemblies of God Church. I, I, I grew up sleeping on the pews. We didn't have children's church when I was a kid. We sat in and we listened to the preacher ramble on. <laughs> you know, and it was blah, 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 blah. And we got a good nap. I knew how to take naps, listen to the preacher, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, you know, we grew up in that. Where else have we heard the terminology, Lord, Lord? Where else have we heard 
Someone claimed that. Do you remember it last week in our sermon, in our message last week, we were talking about the true faults, the, the true prophets and the true disciples? Jesus said it in Matthew seven twenty one. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Again, we hear that, that question. Whoever calls Lord, Lord, what does that really mean? What are they really saying? Does that give them entrance into heaven just because they've said, Lord, Lord? No, Jesus clarifies it. And we talked about this last week. He says, but only the one who does the will of my Father will enter into heaven. So Luke is referring, referring to this same example, maybe to these same type of people that claim to be followers of Jesus. And yet, they don't do what he says. And so for us today, to take it into our vernacular, take it into our time frame, for us that have been in the church for a long time, listen. Listen up. Because he's talking to us. All right? I claim to be a Christian, then I better do. I better do what a Christian does. Otherwise, I'm guilty. So I hope we see the significance of the question because it's more than just simply coming to a church, singing some worship songs, giving lots of money in the offering, (laughs) or maybe nothing in the offering. I don't know what you do. And that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what changes your life. That's not at all what it, it's not, What's necessary, there's so much more reading between the lines. There's so much more to being a Christian than just doing that. So if that's all there is in life, then what's the point? Why do we come to church if there's not any more to it? Well, obviously, there is more to it. And that's the point of the parable that Jesus is teaching here. He wants people to understand that if Jesus is really going to be considered their Lord that he must have first priority in their life. Think about it. If Jesus is going to be Lord, then he must have first priority in life. He can't be Lord if he's second place. The Lordship declares ownership. And that means that he owns me now. He's paid the price. He paid the price for my sin. He gives me redemption, and therefore he owns me. I am no longer my own man. So therefore, if I'm going to call him Lord, Lord, and really mean it, then he must have first priority in my life. He must be the center point of my life. Not only when it's easy and convenient, but when it's hard. Because sometimes life is hard. And sometimes it's a challenge. I get that. But that doesn't change who he is. No matter what's going on in my life, no matter, even if I don't feel like worshiping him on a particular day, that doesn't change his philosophy. It doesn't change his position. It doesn't change his stature. It doesn't change his character. It doesn't change his worthiness to be worshipped just because I don't feel like it. He is worthy to be praised. So in that day that Jesus is referring to, flash floods were common as they are today. 
There are some areas in the country that fat flash floods are a real problem. Now, up here in northern Michigan, we don't have that very much. Um, but there are some areas where when it rains up in the mountains, that it comes flash floods down in the valley, and you better be aware of where you're building your house. And so this analogy of a house building is is a good analogy for the people of the day. They could understand that. Because they understood the fact that if you don't build your house right, and, and in the right spot, you could have a real problem. So to help us understand that a little bit, I have three points I want to talk about. Three points. First of all, be wise where you build. Look for the best site out of the way of the flash floods. Be wise where you build. Secondly, a solid foundation is built only one way. There's one way to build a solid foundation. And then thirdly, it requires an investment of resources, your time, your money, your effort. To build a foundation means that you have to spend time doing it. And here's a big point about point three, is that a foundation is hidden and isn't not something normally seen. Nobody brags about their foundation. They brag about their carpet. They brag about the color of their house, the kind of windows they have in their house. The things people see is what they what sells the house. Nobody says this has got the best foundation in the world as a selling point. It's just assumed it does, but it's not seen. So we're going to come back to that. So point one, be wise where you build. We have to look for the best site out of the way of the flash floods to build a house. And even if you do build your house in an area of flash floods, that's even more reason why you need to build it well. Because sometimes it's just going to happen. Now, we're not building a physical house today. But I want to take this analogy into a spiritual analogy of where do we get our Christian worldview from? What is our perspective? Where are we getting our basis for who we are as a follower of Christ, as a Christian? We all know this. Life is a series of choices. We're given a choice in everything we do includes a choice. And that's the way God planned it. That's the way he orchestrated it. Remember, we are created, we are formed, we are um, created in the image of God. God has choices. Therefore, he's giving us choices. As an image bearer of, of God, we are a person, we are a people given choices. And that's the way it's supposed to be. So because of that, I want to say something without insulting anyone, but I think it's important that we understand this, that most of the problems in our life are a direct resort, result of a previous poor choice. Most of the problems that I have, I've created. Not all of them. Sometimes life just is unfair, and I get that. But, but most of the choices that I make today are going to result in something tomorrow. And if I'm not making a wise choice, a good choice today, then I'm probably going to expect a problem tomorrow. This means that I need to be careful where I spend my time today. I need to be careful what I'm filling my mind with today. I need to be careful with what I do today because tomorrow is going to reap what I've sown. 
Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, if you're in the middle of a crisis right now, then what I'm going to say is not going to help too much. <laughs> because, and I'm not heaping on insult on insult, right? Because sometimes maybe we are, maybe you, I don't know if you are here or online, if you are in the middle of a life crisis, and it doesn't help when somebody says, well, you know why you're in that problem? It's because you did it. It's your fault. That's not going to help, and that's not what I'm doing today by saying this. But I think it is important, though, that we have to understand that principle. Because if I'm going to get out of a problem, I need to take responsibility for the fact that maybe I started the problem. Maybe I caused the problem. So it's important that I have an understanding of my responsibility for my problems. I can't blame it on my upbringing. I can't blame it on people. I can't blame it on the government. I can't blame it on other people. No, I have to take responsibility. The old saying is you can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped. And that's so true today. I have to recognize that I have a problem. And maybe I caused it. And I need to understand that so that now I can know how to get out of it because I have some things I have to do to invite to help. Now, I also know that we need help. And not every problem you can fix on your own. But we need to be willing to ask for the help. We need to be willing to go to the source of truth. James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, and I, I really can't wait to meet James and Jude. They are the half-brothers of Jesus. I can't wait to talk to them and, and ask them, what was it like to grow up with a perfect brother? <laughs> Seriously. That must have been some hard living for those boys because I know they probably did everything they could to get Jesus into trouble. I mean, just think about it. So I can't wait to talk to them. That has nothing to do with the message. That's an in-between-the-liner, I guess, right there. James chapter 1, verse 22, he says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. Do you, do you see the action? Do you see the implication of action on this? But doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Listening to good teaching and reading God's word reveals things in our life. But it's not the revealing of the things that make the difference. It's the action that's applied to that revelation knowledge. What do I do now that I've, it's been revealed in my life that I'm not perfect? I don't want to pop any balloons here, but you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. So what do I do with that revelation now that I know I have issues? How do I handle it? When you look back at your life and you see that it's not what you want it to be or not what it should be, 
Let me just encourage you, don't be afraid to recognize that. Don't be afraid to say, you know what, I made some mistakes. Don't deny it. Don't justify it. Don't try to make excuses for it. Just recognize the fact that, you know what, I've made mistakes. And sometimes we can come under great conviction. We can sit in a church service or maybe we get great conviction in the church pews and so forth or the chairs, whatever we're sitting in. And we can feel, you know, God, I got to do something about that. But yet I can walk out of the church, I can walk out of the building and forget about it. Or I can ignore it. That kind of reaction not only will not make it better, but it actually sears the conscience. And it actually hardens the heart. So that the next time you come into church, maybe the same message doesn't convict anymore as much. And the next time, not as much. And and before long, it doesn't even bother you. That's the problem with sin. That's the problem with deception of sin. That's why James says that anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is that he is being deceived by the power of sin. Sin is powerful. And its deception is, is difficult. And it's real. And the problem with a person that's deceived is they don't know they're deceived. After a while, they think they're doing right, but yet they're still deceived. And that's the hardest problem to deal with with a person that says I'm doing right, but they're not. You see, if a person is deceived, is either really deceived or he's just plain stupid. <laughs> Sorry. But that's the truth. So we have to be careful. We, di- we don't want to get into a point where we start justifying our bad actions. That's why he says that if you find yourself in a situation looking in the mirror and it's not good, he says, don't just go away and forget what you look like. No, do something about it. Fix it. It's the action that matters. And that's what takes me to point two. A solid foundation is built only one way. There's only one way to build a good solid foundation. It means that even after you've chosen a good building site, now you still have to build the house right. You still have to go to the effort. You still have to go through the process of working hard in your life. Even though it may not be popular in today's culture, in today's society, that you still have to do the right things, even if you stand against what the world thinks when it comes to its relative morality. I think one of the most common excuses we hear in the world today is that the Bible is out of date. It's not up to standards of 2022. It's old-fashioned. We've, we've moved on. We're enlightened now. We don't need to hear those old-fashioned ideas of the Bible, right? I mean, isn't, have you heard that? And just look around and see how rampant sin is and the lifestyles of so many people that profess to be godly people, but yet their fruit is anything but godly. They're living in direct opposition to God's word, but yet they're still saying, Lord, Lord. And it may not start off that way. See, it might start off with a little deviation. It may start off with a little compromise. And that's just where the devil lives. The devil lives in the little things. The devil is in the details. He lives in the little compromises that start off one little thing at a time. And then you start getting further and further away from the truth. And then the deception starts settling in. And all of a sudden, you find yourself way off in the weeds someplace. And you think you're okay. That's the scary part. 
is that you think you're okay, but in reality, you're so far from the truth, you're deceived. The devil is very good at blinding our eyes. Basically, people that are doing this, what they're really doing is that they're looking for a different way to build a foundation. They don't realize that there's only one way to build a solid foundation. No, they're looking for a workaround. They're looking for something that justifies their actions. They're looking for something that justifies their feelings. And when we start justifying your feelings, watch out. When you start putting your feelings above the word of God, watch out. Because you're building a faulty foundation. Our feelings are not stable. We are fickle people. We believe things one day and don't believe things the next day. We're told one lie here and then that lie there. And we don't know what to believe. And so we just go with what we feel about that. Opinions. Everybody has one. That's the truth. Everybody has one, but that doesn't mean they're right. And just because the majority might have an opinion, that opinion Even if the most people hold it, doesn't mean that's right if it doesn't measure up to the standards of God's word. That is the foundation that we build on. And if there's anything different than that, it's a faulty foundation. If the house is built on a faulty foundation, the floodwaters don't care. Physics always wins. It doesn't make any difference what you think. If your foundation is faulty, you're going to fall. It may take some time, but you're not going to stand the test of time if your foundation is faulty. Physics doesn't care. If the pressure of the rising water exceeds the strength of the foundation, the building's going to crash. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop it. At that point in time. And it's not about how you feel about it. It's about the reality of what's underneath. Paul writes it this way to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 beginning at verse 2. He says, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ in the godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. Isn't that something? That the wisdom of the wise is foolishness to God. Paul goes on then to give good instruction on, on how people should live godly lives based upon not their wealth and not their self-existence, but on the principles of godliness. As you, if you read, if you read, read, continue on in verses four and so forth in that passage. So let's. Pick, I want to skip down to First Timothy chapter six, verse eleven. Okay, and now Paul says to Timothy, "But you, man of God, flee from all this." teaching that was wrong, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That day's coming soon. I believe we are in the end days. And I believe that it's only going to get more difficult as we're living in the end days to be able to live this way. Therefore, it's even more prevalent, more reason why we need to have a solid foundation on Jesus Christ. 
And then skip down to verse 20 of chapter 6. He says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. This person is so far off in the weeds, they don't even know it anymore. They've departed from the faith. There is only one way to build a foundation that will stand the test of time. And it will not only stand the test of this world, but it will stand the test of eternity. There's only one way to build that. There are no shortcuts to building a foundation that will stand against the attacks of the enemy. He will be, he's like physics. He doesn't care what you think. He knows the word of God. The devil's very much aware of the word of God. He knows what he can stand against and what he can't stand against. If you're building your foundation on the word of God, he knows he can't battle that. He knows he can't make that fall. So he'll do everything he can to twist the truth a little bit to get you off that foundation so that he can then defeat you because he's like the, rule, he's like the law of physics. He knows. He's not stupid. Very much aware of God's word. And if you're standing on God's word, he knows that he lost. Listen, folks, there are times ahead that are going to get hard. If you think it's hard now, just wait. Your ship will be rocked. Your boat will be upset. I just want you to know that. I'm not scaring you. I'm not saying this to bring fear. I'm saying this to be wise. Understand that the times now are getting worse and worse and worse, and they're not going to get better until Jesus comes back. When the rapture happens, then it's going to get really bad for those that miss the rapture, then the tribulation. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus right now, the tribulation is not a fear for us because we're not going to be here. We're going to be raptured out of this world. The church is going to be raptured out. But until that time comes, don't think it's going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. And for some people in the world, it's very difficult. We're just fortunate in America that we're not persecuted. We're not persecuted at all. But there have many Christians already, for them, they feel like the tribulation has already begun because they're being persecuted and even martyred for their faith. We're spoiled. And we take it for granted. And therefore, that makes us sleepy. That makes us a sleepy little community, especially up here in northern Michigan, where things never get bad. You get a little snow, a little ice, but that's it. But man, if you're in Iran or if you're in Pakistan or if you're in Afghanistan or if you're in the East or if you're in China or India, man, you can be persecuted for your faith and you can have to give up your life for it. Get ready. It's coming to America. Get ready. It's coming. And we have to stand against it. And here's the deal. We stand against it. I want to be careful. We stand against it not to make America great again. We stand against it so that my life will stand the test of time against the enemy. America is not going to be our savior. Our, our government is not our salvation. Now, I support a good government and I pray for my leaders as I'm supposed to, but I don't put my faith in them. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that he's the only thing and he's the, why I'm building my faith on him is because he's my salvation, not America. And this takes me to point three. It requires investment of time, money, and resources 
where no one sees them. This is really important because I can build a foundation and I can do it cheaply or I can do it well. And it's going to require time and effort on my part. And here's the thing about a foundation. Once you build it, you know, if you have to go down, in some places they actually have to go down to bedrock. Here, we don't have to go down to bedrock. We just go down, down deep enough and then under the frost line and then we build a solid foundation. We build footings and we make that our foundation. But we have to do it right. We have to size them properly for the house that we're building. And then once we do that, we cover it up. <laughs> we backfill it. We bury it. It's so easy to not do it right because once it's backfilled and buried, nobody sees it. But like everything else that lasts and is worth investing in, this one is the most important because your spiritual foundation is the thing that will be revealed. And like most things that are most important, they're seldom seen until they're forced to be exposed. We all know that appearances don't last. We all know that what's on the outside is seldom what's really on the inside. We can look really good on the outside. We can look really good as in our Christian and our Sunday go to meet and close and, and all that good stuff. But, you know, that means nothing to really what's in my heart. My heart is unseen. But not to God. God sees it. And I will say the devil sees it. And he knows when you're being phony. He knows when you're playing the game. And this is exactly the point that Jesus is making about the wise man that builds in the solid foundation of the rock. So that when the storm, not if, but when the storms come, the house will stand. But to do this, it takes great investment. And it isn't seen normally until the test of life comes. You know, last week we talked about the fruit, right? A good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit and a good tree cannot bear uh, bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Fruit is the result of a successful growing season. Fruit is always the result of something that happened yesterday, right? Well, building a foundation is the same thing. A solid foundation is a result of what effort I put into it when I first started building the house. If I, if I get the house built, it's too late. <laughs> to come back and try to rebuild the foundation is way, way difficult to do, if even possible. It has to be done up front. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each, man's per, of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Make this real quick point. I don't want to be one as just getting saved, escaping the flames. That's not a good way to live life. 
To live life thinking I'm going to do by the minimum I can do to get saved. Let me just tell you, you're probably not saved. <laughs> you're probably not going to make it through if that's your mentality. All right, so let's just put that one aside right now and just make that very clear. But the foundation, though, that Paul is talking about here is a foundation that's hidden until the earthquake happens. And then the quaking of the earth around it reveals if that building was built on a good, solid foundation. If it was built correctly with the proper technology and the proper investment and the proper time, that building will stand. However, if it's not, then that building will fall. In the same way, in the life of a person, no one really sees the foundation that they've built in their life. Nobody really knows my prayer time. Nobody knows where I spend my free time. Nobody knows where my imagination runs when, I have free, when my mind is free, what my uh, fantasies are. Nobody knows that. Remember, what appears on the outside is very seldom what's on the inside. What Paul is saying here is great relevance in the life of a believer. A person's true foundation is exposed when life gets hard, when you lose a job, when somebody dies, when there's a serious illness in your life or any other calamity. How the person responds is the true indicator of how they've built their foundation. How a person responds in the, in, the, in the hard times of life it is the thing that proves your foundation. How you respond to a difficult season can be a great testimony to an unbelieving world. You know, sometimes we don't understand why we have cancer. Sometimes we don't understand why we have heart problems and some other issues. But you know what? For that person that's in the cancer ward or that person that's in a, getting dialysis on his, on his kidneys or that person that's in chemotherapy, you know, when that person goes in there with the joy of the Lord, what a testimony it is to the believers, to the unbelievers. What a testimony it is to the doctors and the nurses. When they say, how, how can you deal with this? Look at your life. You, got a, you have a prognosis that's not good, and yet you have joy. Where's your joy come from? What a great opportunity for a testimony. Because my foundation is not built on the outside. My, my foundation is not built on how I feel about my life. My foundation is built on Jesus Christ. And he is who I am living for. Therefore, when things come like this, it doesn't shake my world. It doesn't rock my boat. It doesn't knock me off center. I may not like it, but I have my foundation built on Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of eternity. Because the time's going to come when that's going to happen. That's why Ephesians chapter 6 is so important. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of darkness comes, or when the day of evil comes, not if, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. What a promise. What a hope. What a proclamation. What a declaration. Right, Grip? That's what we're declaring, that we're going to stand, not in our own self. But, but as we've already read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day of the Lord will bring it to light. And it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Here, listen, folks. There's an eternal test coming that will determine where we spend eternity 
and the rewards we have thereof based upon our work today. If I'm building my life, if I'm building my foundation, going through the hard work, and that means that I'm getting through all the junk in my life. It means that I'm pursuing a solid relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means that I'm doing this with no exceptions. I'm not giving myself opportunities to compromise. When that compromise comes, I battle it against it. I take control of my mind. I take control of what's going on in my thoughts. And I say, no, if it's not biblical, if it's not godly, I'm not doing it. Take captive the thoughts. Build that foundation. That means that we're doing the things in life that cost us something. That's the gold, silver, and costly stones that the writer's talking about. Those are the things that are going to stand the test of fire. But if I'm building my life on wood, hay, or straw, those will burn up. And now I'll be lucky if I can even get in because my life was built on things that were temporary. I have to be building my life on the foundation. Jackie, would you come, please? What's the takeaway of today's message? In all life's choices... There's only one way to eternal life. And all the choices that we have, there's only one way to eternal life. John chapter 14, verse 6. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A successful life is built on the solid foundation of knowing Jesus Christ and nothing else. There's no other philosophy. There's no other religion that will not only allow you to live eternally, but also to give you a fullness and a purpose in this life. That's the beautiful thing about living for Jesus. It gives you a purpose today. It gives you a sense of, why am I here today? I'm not having to wonder, why, God, did you put me here? No, you put me here because I'm a testimony of who Jesus Christ is. It gives me a purpose, a fulfillment. But, we, but it's important to remember, though, that you're not alone in this. I don't want to leave you with such a challenge that you can't do it on your own because you can't do it on your own. I'm just telling you that. Don't even try. Jesus promised to send a master builder to help us. A master builder is the Holy Spirit. It's going to help us. And he's going to give us a, the knowledge that we need to have as we completely surrender to him. Our job is surrendering to the Holy Spirit who is that master craftsman, that master builder that will create the foundation of my life. John chapter 14, we've continued on in that same chapter, verse 15 and 16. Jesus says, if you love me, then keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. 23 and 27, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. That's the foolish builder. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, who's the advocate? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have told you. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Times are going to get hard, but that's okay because we have the Holy Spirit that's building our foundation. He's the master builder. He's the one that I surrender to, not to the world's philosophies. I don't really care what the media is saying. I don't care what CNN or Fox or any of them say because they're not my hope. My hope is in Jesus Christ. This is where I build my foundation and this is why I can not only just get through this life, but I can thrive in it. I can thrive in this life today knowing that I have so much more tomorrow. What a blessing that is. So don't let your hearts be troubled because we're building our life on the foundation of God's word and he will protect us. Remember, we said this a, a, a day, a week or so ago that our job when we pray, our job is only to do the asking. Our job isn't to work. <laughs> that's, we don't have to be the one that solves the problem. We ask the problem solver to solve our problem. We have to do what we have to do our part in the asking and the believing. But don't let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. Amen. That promises you victory. It promises me victory. It promises the fact that we're going to get through this life and it's going to be hard, but we're going to survive and we're going to thrive and we're going to do it for the glory of God. Amen? That's the testimony that we want. That's the wise builder that builds his house on the true foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. That's what I want. I believe that's what you want. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you did not send us into this world to be taken advantage of and to be pushed around by the enemy. I am thankful, Lord, that you've given us the foundation of your word that we can make a strong stand against the devil. That we can stand in the day of evil because we know it's coming. But because I'm built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and on your word and your word alone, I can stand all the tests that this world would throw at me and not just survive, but thrive because you are the master builder. You are where I put my faith. You are where I put my trust. And Lord, and I'm now going to take the action steps on my part to build the foundation of my life. Help me in those quiet times. Those times when nobody else sees me do what I do. Only you see me in those quiet times, but build my foundation strong. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your word. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. Stand with me if you would, please.
You know, sometimes it's easier said than done. And I just want you to know that, yes, the Holy Spirit is here with you, but so are we. If I can do anything to help you through the week, please call me, Pastor Rip, or a brother or sister here. We want to help. We want to walk with you. We want to help you build your foundation. And you know what? You can help us build our foundation because we're together in this. I'm not really any further along than any of you here. We're all building our foundation in Jesus Christ. So let's work together, right? That's what church is about. That's why we come together like this, so we can help ourselves build the foundation of Jesus Christ in our lives. So let's not be strangers. Don't be afraid of, if you have a, if you have a need, need help, ask. You have not because you ask not. And then when you ask, you ask for the wrong motives sometimes. <laughs> but we ask because we need help. And we want to build each other's foundation. Right? Father, I just pray that you go with us today. Help us, Father, to be a true family. Help us really to embrace each other. And, and God, we have a lot of grace. None of us are perfect here. None of us are walking through life without a need of other people to help along, stand, come alongside and help us. So, Father, help us not to be ashamed of that. Help us not to be embarrassed of that. Help us not to be shy. But, Father, we need you, and we love you, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us. I pray your blessing as we go to our homes today. Bless us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Be blessed. Have a great day today.